0: What do you mean you're not trans? You're really ruining my wokeness.
1: Hello. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a fortnightly series looking at unfamiliar places around the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Remember, in the old days, when I used to have a travel podcast? And I used to talk about subjects like solo travel, luggage and hometown exploration and talk about destinations like Vanuatu and Uzbekistan. Ah, one day I'll go back to that. Maybe one day soon. Who knows? Anyway, housekeeping. Do I have any housekeeping? Any life updates? None that I'm prepared to say at this moment for privacy and nothing is certain yet reasons but there may be change afoot. Mo ha I've realised there's actually two things that that could potentially refer to. I'm categorically not talking about my visit on Friday to Sunny G Radio. It's a local community radio station in Sunny Govan, who are always looking for volunteers. I'll talk about that more next time, including its name, but not for those aforementioned reasons. More because, at the time of typing the podcast, We've only had a preliminary conversation and there's no discussion yet as to what I'm going to be doing there, if indeed anything at all. I did have fun at the weekend. I mean, the meet-up I had with my friends in Kirkby and Ashfield was grand, if a bit fleeting, and I had to sack off Parkrun to make it a viable visit. And it was great as a follow-up to meet with Nat from Nutpacker Travel and her hubby for a night of gratuitous drinking in the best pub in Birmingham, which was, I may point out, rammed to the rafters when I walked in And face masks were very definitely notable by their absence. This was true for the whole of the West Midlands, in fact, as I took the tram into the city centre at Sunday lunchtime, and despite masks being mandated, I was the only person wearing one. Because, obviously, the Covid pandemic is over. I was staying at a Premier Inn just outside Oldbury in the black country, a part of the world which is really interesting and right up my blog niche, but equally it's also an area I used to live and work in. Indeed, I walked past the building I had my first job in, in the energy industry, when I started in September 1997. Given that we moved out of that building and into a different town in August 99, and given that that building is on a back street, I can honestly say I walked down a road I hadn't set foot on since, well, before some of my travel Twitter and asexuality Discord friends were even born. Which, hmm, yeah, it did feel a little strange to see what had changed, and yet also so familiar. My journey back up to Glasgow was a bit fraught. I'd taken the plane because it was much quicker than the coach and significantly cheaper than the train. Getting down was fine, but flying back was... Well, for some reason at security they'd only got one scanner open so the queue stretched back almost to the departure's entrance and it took almost an hour to get through. It didn't help that some people had clearly forgotten how to go through security. You're not allowed a bag that size for your toiletries. Why didn't you take your laptop out of your bag and have it ready while you were waiting in line? But for the number of flights, this struck as being inefficient. But then, once everyone had boarded, we set off from the departure gate. And then went back to it because of an issue with one of the engines. That they had to call a toolbox of engineers to come and fix. Which they did by doing a reset. Basically, they switched it off and on again. It's amazing how often that cliche actually works. I'd have been more worried had they conducted percussive maintenance, to be honest. Anyway, we landed at Glasgow only an hour late after all of that. So, all right in the end. Anyway, on with the podcast. As I mentioned last episode, this month is full of all manner of commemorative and awareness days, weeks, months, etc. These include Coming Out Day, which was, ironically, the day I eventually dropped that previous episode, Pronouns Day, and Asexual Awareness Week. The latter is, at the time of typing, not listed on the Wikipedia article for October. So if anyone wants to update Wikipedia and cite this podcast as a source to state that the last full week in October is Asexual Awareness Week, that would be exactly what Wikipedia is for, I guess. Look, if the Sounds Fake But Okay podcast can get its own Wikipedia article, I'm sure you can use mine as a valid citation. Cite them too if you need to. As an aside, a while ago I was curious as to why I had a strange blog traffic spike on my post about St. Kilda. Research discovered my blog was actually used as a citation to one of the sentences on the Wikipedia article for the island group. I am one of 166 references. It's a very referenced article, and I don't feel special about it. Anyway, it made sense, therefore, to continue the journey from my last episode into self awareness and coming out. But this time, talk about sexuality and gender identity. Now, some while ago, well, in episode 7, in fact, I talked about sexuality in the context of travel. I, and my contributors spoke specifically about the issues and mitigations we face as LGBTQIA plus travellers. Similarly, I touched upon the idea in my more recent episodes on influencer responsibility, that's episodes 41 and 42, over whether we as queer spec travellers have a duty or a responsibility to our peers over places we travel to, and of course businesses that we frequent both at home and abroad. And while our specific issues are different both in scope and intensity between the different letters. It's certainly true that we as a community share a lot more of those issues than are separated by them. One of the biggest issues, and one that needs to be faced before we can assess our travels as part of the RAINBOW acronym, is coming out in the first place. Now, coming out is obviously a huge topic with many layers, but in keeping with the theme of my last episode, I want to talk firstly and largely about a site that isn't mentioned as often in the conversations around how do you come out, and is it safe to come out, and that's the very first step of all. Coming out to yourself.
2: For me, coming out to myself was not the hard part. I mean, obviously there was some questioning going on that, you know, that lasted a little while. But for me, once I kind of landed on on the identifiers, Arrow and Ace, you know, I, I was okay with that. I've always just been the kind of person that's just been like, okay, this is this is the way it is.
1: That was Sarah, one of the hosts of the Sounds Fake But Okay podcast, giving a brief overview of how she felt when she came out to herself about her sexual and romantic orientations. And let's be honest, that's pretty much what I did, though perhaps for different reasons. So you all know that I'm asexual. It's in my social media bios. And in the past, the asexual pride flag was a part of my social media profile pictures. I've spoken about it before in some depth on at least two podcast episodes, the one about sexuality and travel, but also one specifically about my growing awareness of my asexuality I recorded for Asexual Awareness Week this time last year, episode 32. You'll have seen me wear asexuality themed clothing and face masks. I'm obviously clearly open about my sexuality, both to other people and to myself. Coming out to myself as asexual wasn't really something that I worried about, mainly because I came to the word so relatively late that, like the way I took on the word dyspraxia, I saw it as a simple explanation of something that I'd known about myself for years, but which I'd never had an easy and clear description or word for. The feelings that I'd had over the years were more like, nobody else is like this, I'm just weird, rather than, I'm actively not standard issue and that's scary. And I think that makes a huge difference. I think coming to it late meant I'd already gone through the is-there-something-wrong-with-me phase before I'd had words for it, whereas if there's a word that you feel you can relate to, that word may have baggage already that you're scared about, or you feel, no, I'm not that, I can't be that. One of those five stages of grief? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I was, at least for asexuality, lucky in the sense that I accepted it when I found it, because I'd already experienced the other stages without even knowing what I was feeling was a common and accepted feeling. It's more common to know the word, the idea, exists. And when you realise you might fit it, immediately hit denial. It helps to be younger too, I guess. So when you're going through those initial realisations and thoughts, what you're thinking is already... You can grasp it, you know what it is. Here is my friend Kira. You'll have heard them on previous episodes of the pod. Here talking about their journey through sexual orientation, which started as a young age when they were playing with toys.
0: I mean... My my sexuality has leaped quite a bit, Um, because obviously you go through the preteen and early teens bit where it's like everybody's brought up to be straight, therefore you're straight because man and a woman, you know, Adam and Eve and all that kind of bollocks that you just indoctrinated in whether you want to be or not. You just are. It's just how people brought you up. I have a mum and a dad, so, you know, there you go. That's, that's, That's how it's supposed to work. And you're always told, isn't it when a mummy and a daddy love each other? Of course you are. Um, because we want to indoctrinate our children into normality. And then you get to like teenage years where you start experimenting. And my one was as this is going to sound so weird. So I'm completely outing myself here, but, um, usually as a kid, I, I loved all the Barbie dolls and, and female sculptures and all that because I was obsessed with all the curves and curvatures of them. Because that, that, that's what grown women are supposed to look like. It's a beauty standard. So, you know, all these curves, all this tiny tight waist on your Barbies and stuff like that. And I used to find them kind of amazing. I was just kind of like, wow, is that what we're all going to look like when we grow up? Why don't people always look like that? Raised questions and stuff. And my parents thought it was harmless. And that led to later on, uh, I did the whole, God, I must be a lesbian because I am attracted to women because I find them so much more attractive. And um, yeah, I went through that stage for a bit and uh, I got me a girlfriend and then I kind of realised that I still liked men. So It's just kind of like, okay, so we're on both sides of this. So from about, what, 14, 15, up to being like 28, uh, I, I was just, I just assumed I was bisexual. I was just like, well, that's the only term there is for it. And you know you get the common misconceptions with that. you're just greedy, um no, i just I just happen to like both. I do, um that's just how I feel about this entire situation. It was before the bisexuality movement stated that they included trans people that I realized that it was you know when I was asked, would you date somebody who's trans? yeah, but there was like zero hesitation there though, Kira, yeah. Why? It's more because I'm attracted to a person's sort of personality. I mean, granted, looks are a small part of what I look for. I do have a type, if you will, but it's the personality. If I can't get on with the personality of the person, then I'm not dating them because what's the point? They can be as pretty as you like. It doesn't matter. So trans never really fell into any sort of. It never really registered with me. It was just kind of like, are they a nice person? Do I get on with them? Yeah, sure. Bring them on. Sex to me is a recreational activity. I know it's supposed to be this whole, only with the one person that you love. No, fuck that. It's fun. I have sex for fun. I love and show love in different ways. So whether I'm having sex or not, whether my partner's comfortable with sex or not, I can give or take that. I'm not that arsed it's more if that person is spectacular in that way to me then that can, the sex can fall by the wayside it it doesn't matter before the bisexual community came forward and uh, outwardly um said that they accept trans people in pansexuality was something that came forward that included trans and was based more on personality and I was like that is something i identify with much closer than i do bisexuality but it 26 and 28 it's it's hard to come to terms with those sorts of things because you just kind of like am I just chopping and changing because this is this is the new in thing now I don't know have I just gone for it because the flag's prettier I don't <laughs> you kind of doubt yourself you just kind of like I should know myself by this point I'm 28 I've been bisexual for this many years but it, it made more sense and I looked at it logically it ticked all my boxes so that was the one for me and I kind of just took that and even when the bisexual community did say we do include trans it's like yes but pansexual is slightly different it is more to do with personality and that is what i'm drawn to so i'm going to stick in this box and i'm going to stay with this one thank you very much not that i particularly want to put myself in a box or a label but at the same time sometimes it's nice to have clarity and have that one word there so you know when people ask what what is your sexual orientation i can immediately say pansexual it's the closest fitting label for me it ticks all the boxes for me
1: Uh, The pansexual flag is clearly and absolutely far better than the bisexual flag, but we do not choose our orientations for the flag. Otherwise, asexuality wouldn't... No, no, no. There are people who like the asexual pride flag, and I must be respectful of that. Hmm. As a culture, possibly as a species, we like to put ourselves in boxes as a way to describe ourselves easily, but also as a way to accept who we are, to define ourselves, and in a sense to be proud of ourselves for being us. As a data analyst, I love boxes. It makes graphs and tables much easier to display if there's only five or six options, as opposed to, what, what, 66 million people in the UK if we're all unique individuals. As a unique individual, though, I have a tendency, not on purpose, to be the outlier in those graphs, the rare data point that tends to get ignored because they don't fit. I like this. But in general, I like the way we can define our own boxes. There's a lot of micro-labels in both sexual and gender identity, and while some may go, what do you need to call yourself that for? I think it's lovely that people can find super-specific things that tie them together and make a community, share their feelings, and find people that can help them on their journeys. Here's Kayla, the other host of the Sounds Fake But Okay podcast, talking about her realisation and coming out to herself as demisexual, which is often seen as a micro-label within asexuality, but is definitely a unique identity and separate from it. In case you don't know, a demisexual is someone who does not experience sexual attraction until they have formed a deep emotional connection with someone.
3: When it came down to coming out as demisexual, I can honestly say that coming out to myself was the hardest part. And I kind of came out to other people before I even came out to myself. So I have the podcast Sounds Fake But Okay with my best friend Sarah, who is Arrow Ace. And from the very first episode, I started talking about how I might be demisexual. And I was actively talking on the podcast about, well, I think I might be demisexual, which means blah, blah, blah. And, you know, here's why I think I might be that way. And for genuinely, like maybe a year, I was saying, th- not a year, either way, for a long time, I was saying things like that a lot. Like on the podcast, I would say, I think I'm demisexual. I think I'm this, but I would never think about it in the rest of my life. Like when the podcast, when we finished recording, I would stop thinking about it and I didn't really let myself think about it because I was just so uncomfortable with the label. Like I knew my experiences matched up with it, but it felt really daunting to have to accept that that's what it was and that I would then have to conduct my life in a way that matched how I actually felt. It was very daunting to me to know, okay, if I am demisexual, I'm going to have to date in a way that makes me comfortable as a demisexual person. And so for a while, even while on the podcast, I was saying, yeah, I might be demisexual, I was actively ignoring that and pretending I wasn't and was trying to go about dating the way that any aloe person might, which ended up being really bad for my mental health. And it just made things a lot harder. And honestly, that's what ended up pushing me to come out to myself is that things were just getting really hard in terms of dating and trying to form new relationships because I refused to come out to myself. And literally everyone else in the world knew it. And they were just kind of waiting. Like I was actively saying, yeah, I might be, but I don't feel comfortable with the label. And it was just really like a detriment to the rest of my life. So I mean, coming out to myself and admitting it to myself was the hardest part because it meant finally accepting that it was something I was going to have to face and deal with.
1: Kayla also there talks about issues she had in coming to terms with realising her sexuality and what it meant to her. In a way, that's one of the disadvantages I had about coming to the word asexuality relatively late on in life. I didn't get to have those decisions about how to conduct, for example, relationships with that knowledge about myself. I only had a slightly clouded and incomplete picture. This is a concept I'll keep coming back to over the course of the pod. We'll also come on to mental health more in a little while, as well as something else Kayla mentioned about everybody else in the world knowing apart from her. But I find it interesting that she realised her sexual orientation while actively hosting a podcast that talks about sexual orientation. Again, over the course of this episode, it'll become clear how important and helpful it is to have discussions with other people going through similar journeys or having had similar experiences, and be open to the fact the resulting conclusions may well challenge who you are and what you are. One such episode from my own personal experience is my gender identity. This was a subject I talked about a bit on episode 35 of this podcast, where I talked about toxic masculinity and then lightly took the mickey out of most of the pride flags. Something that's quite hard to do on a podcast, but you can be sure it'll come to a reel in a YouTube short near you soon. Or possibly TikTok, depends on what my VA thinks. I'll talk towards the end of the pod about how the clues were all there and how my revelation at being comfortable wearing the non-binary flag as a face mask shouldn't have come as a surprise to me. But for now I want to talk a bit about how it felt to come out to myself as demiboy non-binary. And here I'll say it's still an ongoing journey in my mind. Unlike my asexuality, for instance, which is, you know, pretty much a fixed part of me and the resulting revelation that I'm probably aromantic despite what I said in episode 7, and that in itself has been an interesting development, although that's mainly because of a better understanding of what romantic attraction is, or, in my case, a realisation that I don't really know what romantic attraction is, and aromantic is much easier to describe than romantic, and a marginally better flag. Anyway, what helped me in my gender-orientation self-revelations was already having gone through the process of realising my sexual identity – That's not to say that they're linked for everybody. What I'm saying is that by being open to questioning and accepting one core part of your identity, it then becomes easier to question other parts of your identity. The Trevor Project, that I've referred to before in previous episodes, reported that around 41% of younger asexuals were also non-binary in some form, as opposed to 25% of LGBTQIA youth as a whole, And while I don't believe there's a direct correlation, I'm certainly sure it's reflective of a holistic questioning approach to all aspects of life and culture. But realising this myself was much harder. In my case, it was a combination of my age and... I suppose it's hard to explain this, but in a way, intent? No, not intent, not dedication, more. So for instance, obviously I'm fully aware of the trans journey. And for me, in my head, claiming the non-binary epithet was also a journey like from the first moment I started to find ways in which I could relate to non-binary culture and realised that this could apply to me, I was all, but I'm not like that, I can't be like that, I'm quite obviously and distinctly male. This slowly changed then to, but I'm not non-binary enough. When I said I imagined it like a journey, in my head it meant that there was a goal to head for, a definitive, yes, I am now non-binary, and that was a goal I wasn't headed towards. And it almost felt like a form of cultural appropriation for me to start identifying with the non-binary flag because I wasn't and could never be truly non-binary in the same way that I could never be trans because I wasn't trying to transition. So it's not my flag. It's not my identity. And this is another thing that initially confused me about all of this, about the concept of transition. When I started thinking about gender, it was around the question of if you could design your ideal body, what would it look like? how much did I ever imagine changing the way my body looked? It's true that if I could have any superpower, shape-shifting, with added texture manipulation, would certainly be the top contender, you know, with little knobs and dials so I could turn things up and down just on a whim. But it would be a flexible power, just as likely to turn to stone to prevent attacks, as I would change my appearance to resemble other humans. Though I have small issues with being in a male body... Much of my objection is to masculinity rather than having the male edition of the body itself. And as I say I never saw myself as trans, even though. In some ways, non-binary gender identity is covered under the trans umbrella. And again, that initially made me think, well, I'm not transitioning to non-binary either, so therefore I'm not non-binary enough. I haven't yet come to terms with the fact that non-binary is under the trans umbrella. My age was important too, because I felt... I'm too old to be non-binary. It was something only accessible to young people. And again, by attempting to claim that identity, I would be almost appropriating it because, I don't know, maybe people would think I was only doing it because it was trendy or something. Listeners, I have never been trendy. I'd love to say, but they don't know that. But let's face it, one look at me, and they certainly would know that. I could cope with being asexual at my age because I'd have a lifetime of experience of those feelings, and while I couldn't put a word or a description to it, once I found the word, it just felt accurate. It felt like a word I could claim, regardless of my age or anything else about me. Gender orientation felt different. It was new, and therefore I was much more wary of it. What helped was community discussion. In May 2020, I joined a server on Discord, run by the Sounds Fake But OK podcast, this is not an advert for the Sounds Fake But gay okay podcast. But seriously, you ought to check it out. One of their more recent episodes, episode 201, is definitely worth listening to. Social Bonding with Sex and Romance. And some of the topics that are covered in it, I'm covering in this podcast completely coincidentally. And a couple of the channels on that server are dedicated to discussions about sexual and gender identity. While most of the people chatting there are younger than me... I am roughly the third or fourth oldest person on the server, and indeed many of them are younger than my personal website, we are all having similar revelations, similar realisations. We are on similar journeys. And this, of course, means coming to similar realisations at the same time, or rather picking up from things each other have said and going, oh yeah, I do that, or, ah, I can relate to that, and things you didn't realise about yourself or didn't think about as being relevant, or things you'd even forgotten you did get placed into context. You learn that you're not alone, and you learn that it's okay to think the way that you do. People further on in their journeys can help you on your own, even if they end up being different journeys. The server has pronoun roles, and it's really interesting to see people's personal development as they take on pronouns, maybe alongside those they start with, maybe eventually replacing them, and then maybe changing them again as they feel that something else more closely matches the way they feel. It's not just about pronouns, of course. Indeed, one might argue pronouns are only a very small thing, but they're a window onto someone's mind, a reflection on how they see themselves. And so to my own gender realisations. Without the discord, I wouldn't have come across the concept of demiboy as early. It's a dreadful sounding word with a highly uninspiring flack, but the definition, a non-binary gender in which one is partially, but not fully, a boy or man, did resonate strongly with me. Strongly enough, anyway, that I could accept it myself much easier than I felt I could accept being non-binary, at that stage anyway. But as demiboy is considered on the non-binary spectrum, it wasn't as difficult a step as I'd feared to start calling myself non-binary afterwards. That said, even now I still qualify the term by saying demiboy, whereas I don't qualify my asexuality with any specific micro-label, because I don't feel I need to. The other thing that the Discord helped with was in regard to my feeling of not being non-binary enough. With so many people on that journey, in particular there, they were able to reassure me that there's no such thing as being enough. That I wouldn't be taking things away from, I don't want to say more committed NBs, but certainly much more developed, and that we are all valid. And I mentioned earlier about pronouns and what helped coming to terms with my own gender identity was my own pronouns. The first time someone, one of my friends on Twitter in fact, referred to me as they rather than he, I had a weird flutter in my heart. I can't explain why or how, but all I do know is that when they did that and I saw it, I felt weirdly far more comfortable and comforting than I was expected. I thought it would be awkward, and sometimes it still is, But at that moment, I felt like it was right. I felt that it belonged. But it's not all chocolate boxes, roses and friendly debates with friends. While coming out to others is always seen as a fraught and stressful time, sometimes your background, your immediate or home environment, makes even coming out to yourself really hard because of the negative connotations you've been led to believe about doing so, the way you've been brought up, etc. And the fear about what this means going forward, knowing that you're going to have to come out to others at some point. Here's my Instagram friend, Miranda, talking about the fear she had when she had her first realizations of her sexual orientation and identity.
4: The entire several years of coming out was pretty intense for me. I didn't grow up in a household where it was allowed for me to genuinely date who I naturally found myself attracted to. In fact, it almost wasn't even an option, wasn't even talked about. So realizing I liked women was shocking to begin with, and honestly... I just ignored that part of me for a long time because it was scary and intimidating at first. I didn't understand it. But on top of that, then realizing I didn't even like men was an entire process just in itself. Talk about having to learn 26 years of everything you thought was quote-unquote normal or how it should be. It took a serious toll on my mental health and I hadn't heard anyone in the LGBTQ community at that time talk in-depth about their experiences. So after initially reading about compulsive heterosexuality, which going forward I'll just say comphet, I instantly broke down. Like sobbing in my kitchen while making dinner <laughs> type of breakdown. All my life I felt like I was being shoved into this specific box of who... Everyone wanted me to be. Parents, teachers, friends, co-workers, church people. So after learning about comphet, I felt lied to and betrayed. It completely broke me. All my life I thought what I was feeling and all the thoughts that I was thinking throughout my teenage years and college years, I thought it was all completely normal for a straight woman that dated men. I would have to just deal with those thoughts all my life, but I was just gay.
1: Compulsive heterosexuality is one of the most difficult things to overcome when it comes to coming out, not just to others, but to yourself. If you've been raised in an environment where it's assumed and expected that you're going to grow up, marry someone of the opposite sex, have children, etc., and any deviation from this is criticised to the point of, well, even exile. It's incredibly hard to even come out to yourself, because you know you'll be seen as wrong and evil if you dare broach the subject. Yet keeping it all in, well you know how that could end. And if you think those sorts of beliefs only happen in strongly religious or traditionally Western cultural families and environments, you'd be wrong. As an entity, our whole society and culture is set up for allonormativity. Everybody is assumed to be heterosexual, and sexual, and cis, to the extent that people don't even think about it. Everything from having a best friend of the opposite sex when you're five years old, and both sets of parents going, oh, they'll get married someday, all the way up to the assumptions and acceptance of toxic masculinity, real men go after women, and all of that. Romance movies, adverts with families, assumptions about friends, everything is geared up towards heterosexuality, and if anything looks different, people go, oh, why are you doing that? Are you just trying to be woke? And... Children shouldn't learn about LGBTQIA plus issues because that's a sexual and they shouldn't be exposed to sexuality, yet are happy to dress their 11-year-old daughters in t-shirts that say hello boys and don't allow mixed sex sleepovers because things will happen. Heterosexuality is sexual, no more and no less than homosexuality is, but society isn't ready to have that conversation yet. And there are levels of societal discomfort. Asexuality is ignored or infantilized. Lesbianism is Kind of fetished, because men are weird. Gayness is either entertaining or seen as a weakness that needs to be beaten out of you. And at the bottom is trans. Here's Caitlin, a trans woman, talking about her journey of self-discovery and the stages she went through coming to terms with coming out to herself.
5: So it was probably about three years ago in New York. For the first time in like 10 years, I think. I was on my own. Didn't have any family out there. Didn't have any friends. I had no idea really what I was thinking. I guess to some that might sound like a bit of a nightmare. But for me, it was super liberating. The apartment that I was in just happened to be across the street from a big LGBTQ plus bar and club. And every weekend I would just like look out of my window and just be like, one of these days I'm going to pluck up the courage and I'm going to go there. I finally had the courage to go to the LGBTQ bar. Um, which was a really great thing. I was so super nervous, but at the same time, it allowed me to find the sense of community, support, friendship, and even some relationships that I was truly looking for. However, over the year that followed, the more I explored this new life and learned more about who I was and what I wanted, the the more I realized that I, I wanted more. It just wasn't enough. It didn't feel like it was enough to just be a a very effeminate male. But at the same time, this is when I started getting those feelings of like, okay, maybe there's more to this. But those feelings terrified me. Because I knew if I listened to them, ultimately, there was only one way that this could go. And it was a thought that would often creep in every now and then. And I would just swiftly knock it away, you know, and just make up any excuse that I could that this was not who I was and I could never be that person. I could could never possibly identify as being transgender. I would just bury those thoughts deep inside and I would just hide them behind a facade of it's just a kink or I just like cross-dressing. I would do this to the point where I would believe myself, and it would sort of stem the tide of those feelings, even if it was just for a little bit. But I was in so much denial, I think I was the only one that was completely blind to clearly the very obvious. Even my parents questioned me one of the last times we visited them. Uh, As my old self, just before the end of 2019, I, I was kind of living a sort of a double life at this point and they asked if I was well they didn't specifically ask but they they pretty much hinted and asked if uh you know that that was where I was going and I said no I said I'm not transgender I realize now I lied then we got to Christmas of 2019 and into early 2020 and that's when shit basically hit the fan so to speak I sank into like regular depressions. My body dysmorphia was crippling. And at some points I very much became suicidal. I had to take time off work. And some days I just laid in my bed and cried. I cried until my eyes stung and my cheeks hurt. It was just awful. I was just so angry and upset that I got to this point in life where I felt like I had to make a seemingly impossible decision, either be depressed and deal with all of these horrible feelings for the rest of my life, but outwardly lead a quote-unquote normal life, and know that my family and friends would continue to love and support me as they always have, or accept myself, accept the person that I was becoming, and begin a journey and hopefully be happy, The expense of potentially losing those I cared about most in the world was just such
1: a horrible thought. Following Caitlin's contrib there, I just wanted to take a slight detour here into mental health, which I also touched on in my last episode. As I intimated earlier, the whole concept of coming out is something that definitely can affect your mental health, and certainly a couple of other contributors have suggested similar issues. But here's Miranda again talking specifically about how coming out to herself affected her mental health.
4: Uh, What hit me the hardest in regards to my mental health was when I started dating more consistently. I started dissociating more. It initially started when I was going out more often on dates, out in public, walking around and actually showing PDA, holding hands, etc. Like normal couple stuff. Except I noticed people's dirty looks and the glares go from looking at us to down at our hands and back to our faces again. And that's when I started noticing that I just never felt like I was there on dates. It felt like things were just happening around me and I wasn't present at all. And each time I almost had to force myself to come back to reality it was as if I was watching the date play out on a screen. A friend of mine had to explain to me what was going on when I just made a few initial comments. The dissociation was a trauma response because of my religious upbringing. It was how my brain tried to make me feel safe because I was essentially taught to hate who I was as a person. It happened more and more even at home but only if anything, LGBTQ was being referenced, whether it be a movie, TV show with gay characters. And instantly I felt like I wasn't there, and I was just floating through my apartment doing things as normal. I am very fortunate that this, in part, was very short-term, but it was really scary that it was happening. I hadn't even heard of dissociation, and I felt such an intense guilt from it, too, I mean, I never wanted to be not present with someone I actually found myself genuinely interested in. But over time, the more I truly accepted myself and dating women became my new normal, I stopped dissociating as my brain slowly realized that I really was safe.
1: The connections in her words are clear to hear. Her fears about coming out to herself, let alone to others, caused her some mental health issues. At least though it was only temporary, after a while she managed to pull through the worst of it and begin her journey into acceptance. She also identifies and compares her feelings to that of a trauma response. This seems to be a theme that underlies many people's feelings, even if they're not necessarily able or willing to phrase it in those terms. As you heard in my last podcast episode, I came out with certain neurodiversities that have a bearing on my mental health, including dyspraxia and ADHD. While i say they were unconnected to my sexual and gender orientations, at least directly, it is true there's an overlap between asexuality and neurodiversity. In the Trevor Project survey referred to earlier, 25% of asexuals expressed suspicions of having ADHD, with around half of those having fairly select diagnoses. while a whopping 75% expressed a suspicion of anxiety disorder, with a third, a third, having been medically diagnosed. The figures are similar for medical depression. One might think this adds another level to the mental stress that coming out brings, and I'd imagine that's true for most people who experience those overlaps. In my case, though, it was just another thing to think about. And I knew I had mental health issues most of my life, in one form or another, so having identity issues laid on top of that didn't feel as angsty as it would to other people. When you're already overthinking about 639,000 things, another couple won't really do any harm. Sarah, from Sounds Fake But Okay, agrees in principle. Her sexual awakening, if one can say that about asexuality, came at the same time as several other things happening. So for her, it was all one globby mess.
2: In terms of the way my identity as an arrow ace interacts with my identity as yield, uh depressed, anxious, um ADHDer, I think for me, finding out that I was... A-spec and finding out that I had these mental illnesses happened kind of around the same time. It wasn't necessarily triggered by one another, though. I, I think they all came to light because my life was changing a lot. I was kind of in that transition from high school to college, and, you know, suddenly this sport I had been doing all of my life I suddenly couldn't because of an injury and there were just like a lot of things going on and because my life was like a little bit tumultuous like a lot of these things kind of came to light at that time and so it was I don't know if it was easier because everything was already kind of changing to begin with to say like okay yeah these changes are happening but maybe it did help like maybe because uh things were moving and grooving and and changing it made it easier for me to kind of accept those things and just be cool with them.
1: Of course, one of the biggest causes of stress in the whole coming out journey is having to come out in everyday life, to society and to other people.
4: So I decided to publicly come out on National Coming Out Day last year in 2020. I state publicly to mean that I posted on social media for friends, family, followers... And prior to coming out publicly, I had known that I liked women for several years, dated women, and my close friends knew as well. I didn't put a label to it at the time in the original post, though I do label myself gay, lesbian, using both of those terms interchangeably. I personally felt the need to come out because I grew up in an extremely Christian and conservative household and was actually more or less still going to church. I really just wanted to avoid getting talks about my future husband, which is actually huge in the religious environment, in the church, and I didn't want to get any questions about quote-unquote cute guys I'm seeing. I knew, being lesbian, that I'd have to constantly be coming out for the rest of my life, and I just wanted to avoid the possible conversations with extended relatives, any acquaintances, people from work, from college, and all of that. As for reactions, um, it was vastly different. I actually had come out to my mom as bi several years prior, which, uh, I don't really know how to say this, wasn't the best reaction at that time. Um, My mom said a lot of stereotypical things like, well, what if you marry a woman, and what are you going to do about kids? completely forgetting that straight couples all the time have issues getting pregnant naturally, and there's a million of other ways to have kids and to have a family, but, but I digress. Um, coming out to my mom a second time was easier initially, though the process months later was still difficult. But it was still the first time coming out to my dad, my brother, and my sister-in-law. My dad didn't say anything. In fact, he's still uncomfortable hearing me when I say gay or call myself a lesbian, any of that. He's just flat out walked out of the room when I've talked about a girlfriend before. The only thing he did say, because I made him, was, it is what it is, I can't change anything. And that's the only thing my dad said on the matter. I was most scared to come out to my brother, based on our relationship and our teenage years, And our relationship since college has always been a little rocky, but honestly, I'm surprised with how well him and his wife took it, being super religious and uh, living down in the Bible belt. Most of my friends in general were very supportive, and I'm so thankful for that, except for one. This is the one friend I had known essentially since daycare, since we were babies, um, and whose wedding I was in. Uh, She had told me she couldn't be in my wedding, so a lifelong friend out the door just because of who I love. I tried to still remain friends because so many people told me, oh, she just needed to get used to it. You know, she's got to have time to process it. She'll come around. But I quickly learned a pattern as she would respond to every single text of mine except anything about my dating life. And this happened for months. It wasn't just a few weeks and I gave up. This happened for months. We tried talking about it. And all I got were was anger, arguments, gaslighting. She denied everything. And honestly, you can't be friends if you're going to ignore an entire portion of who someone is. An entire portion of someone's life. Um, so, it was hard. It was... It was really hard for that, especially, but, I mean, you just kind of get over it as time goes on, I guess. Um, But the thought of someone getting used to my sexuality was frustrating, to say the least. Actually, extremely angering. I was the same Miranda before I learned about my sexuality. I liked the same foods, found the same jokes funny. And I was still that supportive best friend that all my friends knew me as. But people need to get used to a new hair colour, a new pair of shoes, even a new job. No one needs to get used to a human.
1: Miranda there talks about how it felt to come out to other people and how she had a variety of reactions to doing so. I'm sure many of you listening to this can relate to much of what she said. Her experiences are pretty typical of people coming out. Some supportive, some indifferent, some negative and confused. But as she says, while it's hurtful that someone you thought was a close friend would react negatively, ultimately, you haven't changed. You're still the same person, just that you now have a word to describe yourself that you're comfortable using. You haven't changed at all. It's just other people's perceptions of you that have changed. And if people can't cope with that, then that's definitely more on them and not at all on you. In this pod, I've talked about both my asexual and my gender orientations and here's where it gets very divergent, for me at least. I've come out in terms of my online identity in both, and I'm pretty comfortable with that, and I didn't have any negative comments or feedback. But then, I wasn't expecting any. Pretty much everybody I know via Twitter knows the sort of person I am, or at least has a strong vibe about the way I am, so I doubt anything I say on either score would really surprise them. While my Instagram feed is either my Twitter followers, or it's a bunch of UK-based hikers who have better things to concern themselves with. I'm asexual. Does that help you cross Kinder Scout without getting lost? No. The difficulty comes more with family and with the few people that I know offline. Here, one of the two has been a much easier journey than the other. I'm incredibly comfortable with walking around advertising my sexuality with the sweatshirts and the face masks and the badges, partly because I'm comfortable with so few people recognising the flag, it must be said, but also because I'm comfortable with people knowing that about me. It's such a fundamental part of my life. I mean, sure, it opens up some awkward questions about love, marriage and children, but as a single middle-aged man, I was getting those questions and comments anyway. As I've said before, the difference between me as an asexual traveller and me as a solo traveller is arguably only that I'm less likely to respond to amorous advances on my trips. We will not talk about Houston. Partly, this is because, of course, while being asexual and aromantic is a challenge to allonormative, cishet and sex-centred society, it often feels less threatening in everyday life than many of the other parts of the RAINBOW acronym. As my walking down the street isn't so much of an affront as, say, two women holding hands or someone transgender. All that said, I wouldn't even say I ever came out as asexual. nor aromantic, really. In the sense that I never had that conversation. I never went through the process of figuratively sitting people down and admitting it. I did things like change my Facebook profile picture to the asexual flag, talk about it on my podcast, wrote some blogs about it, and pretty much put people in the situation of, well, I did tell you, don't you read my content? Partly this was because it was easy to explain asexuality in those terms. Coming out as gay is a harder conversation. But at least if you could say, Mum, I'm gay, there's a strong chance your mother knows what gay is, without having to add a Ted talk into your coming out conversation. Also, I'm an introvert with a small measure of social anxiety and a desire not to cause a scene. I don't like conversations. I like writing more than speaking. At least where I'm expecting to get a reply. Partly, it must be said, because then I can control when I see the reply. I am that person who would send deep and meaningful emails at 2am and then switch the computer off and go to bed. My uncle does the same. His announcement of the death of a family member once took place overnight and the first I heard about it was when my mother called me on my morning commute to work asking me if I'd checked my emails. I approve of this. Others would not. Someone who seems to have the same viewpoint and whose coming out I find quite relatable is Sarah from Sounds Fake But Okay.
2: For me, coming out to other people was hard, not because I didn't feel safe or sure of my identity or anything, but more so because I'm just a really non-confrontational person. I uh, am emotionally distant because I'm my father's daughter, not because I'm a spec. And for me, like broaching those conversations was just really difficult. And so that was the thing that I struggled with most, was just bringing it up, I guess, and, and finding a, a natural way to like properly come out, um, which was why you know, the way I did come out was so anticlimactic. Like I didn't have one big coming out. I had a lot of very small, very casual, very passive coming outs, really.
1: It's a very different situation with regard to my gender orientation. Partly because I'm still working it out. So I'm less... I'm <laughs> more reluctant to talk about it because I'm not certain myself. Partly because we're dealing with micro-labels and that requires a much more complicated or detailed coming out discussion, which I'm not in a position to have because I don't know what I'm talking about yet. And partly because, in my head at least, querying your gender orientation is a much more personal and culturally difficult situation. It's one thing to be asexual. It's quite another to be, well, whatever I am, demiboy non-binary. I mean, as I say, I'm out on my social media profiles, but given the subjects I talk about in my blogs and podcasts, it would be weird for me not to be. It's part of my brand image. And being fair, I've also had a picture of me wearing the non-binary face mask as my image on some social media sites. But I've been a lot quieter about my gender identity in general. It's not that I'm not open about it more than I just don't mention it as much, because doing so would cause more questions that I might not be able to answer to the person's satisfaction, and they may end up going away at best confused and at worst actively angry at me being weirdly different. More weirdly different than usual, anyway. More people understand being gay than being asexual, but I feel more people would, well, not so much understand, but more have a reference point to cling on to and get asexuality than would get gender nonconformity. Having little to no sexual attraction is seen as weird, but at least it's a concept that's easy to grasp with comparisons. Trying to explain my gender identity to a 71-year-old Daily Express reading boomer who already pretty much ignores every reference to my asexuality and all who almost certainly won't grasp concepts like the separation of sex and gender and toxic masculinity is quite a hard sell. Yes, that is the subtweet. You know who it's to. I'm also not sure what benefit it would have. Like, for me personally, does it make a difference? Bearing in mind my age and my lifestyle means I'm surrounded by friends who already know the sort of person I am. Obviously, there's a sense of the wider world, and that's definitely something I'm still having thoughts about. Like, how do I describe myself in web forms? Do I try out using gender-neutral names in certain environments? I recently did book a table in a pub under the name Barefoot Backpacker, And I felt I sounded weird, even though I do that sort of thing quite regularly online with, like, hotels and stuff. The organisation I work for is very keen on people putting their pronouns in their email signatures, if they feel comfortable doing so. And I do have they and he listed as my pronouns. So at work, I'm definitely tentatively open about it, but I'm definitely not as out as demiboy non-binary as I am as asexual. Mind you, people kind of... guessed already. What I found quite interesting for both my sexuality and my gender identity is, since coming out to myself about both and discussing my feelings with friends and other people online, going through the same realisations, I've been looking back at bits of my past, the ways I felt when I was growing up, the things I did and said, and going, ah, I see. It's something I mentioned in my previous episode, talking about therapy, and how that's allowed me to collate my thoughts into a Well, I kind of funnel, really, and see them all together, rather than as separate pieces of information flying around space-time. Like, so, asexuality, there's the fact that most of my penpals in my teenage years were girls, and furthermore, that I didn't ever contemplate dating them, even though that would have been a natural thought process. Well, except one. But we don't talk about that one. Not even my therapist knows about that one. And while I did end up dating two of my penpals, that was certainly never the intention, and both relationships got that far pretty much by accident related possibly very related I'm absolutely no good at flirting or understanding when flirting is occurring I remember having a chat with one of my very dear pen pals at the time saying this exact point and her response was everybody can flirt I never knew how or what I didn't want to assume literally someone could have hit me on the head with a huge banner that said I like you and I'd still wondered what their intention was There's a lot of memes about, specifically lesbians, who have this issue. And I can relate. I can relate a lot. That doesn't mean I'm lesbian. Definitely not. Hmm. Asexuality. There's the fact that I never really thought about sex. And the only reason I had sex for the first time was because my then-girlfriend kept badgering me about it. And I figured, I might as well, just to see what all the fuss was about. And the fact that I was twenty and a half at the time. It went about as well as you can imagine. Asexuality, like the way I tended to have friends that became dating partners and then drifted back to being friends again because their expected sex didn't kind of happen as much as they'd have liked and, related, how I prefer to have close intimate friendships that don't do that sort of thing. Asexuality, like the way when everyone I knew at school and university had posters of people on their walls that they found sexually attractive and I had... what did I have? Prog rock album covers and maps. It never occurred to me to look at people like that. I just didn't get the allure that people, especially famous people, had. They, you know, look at posters with their tongues lolling about them and i stood there like, but you'll never get them. Why do you lust after them? And, relatedly, my relationship to porn. Full swap radio listeners might raise an eyebrow at this, but I have never found the naked form to be appealing. Yes, I have kinks, but those kinks do not require sex or nudity. And I'm actively put off by society's suggestions that sexuality and allure Lacey Underwear, for instance, does nothing for me. Certain stereotypical poses that you always find in magazines do nothing for me. And the vast, vast majority of porn, honestly, bores me. Because with pictures, nothing's happening. And what you see, I'm not very interested in. And quite often, just find quite unattractive. I have watched a very small number of porn movies. And I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but one of them I was with, oddly a girlfriend, whose idea it was to watch it, and we just spent the time eating dinner and commenting on the decor of the furniture. It was, it must be said, horrendously 1970s style furniture. All of this, at the time, I assumed it was just because I was a bit odd and just very bad at heterosexuality. I never really connected it all together. And then, when I realised that asexuality was a word, and that it applied to me, it was amazingly liberating. And it made all those different factors all make sense and all connected. I managed to find this out mostly on my own. Miranda made those connections through other people, recognising the themes and suggesting things for her to think about.
4: So I mentioned before that I had identified as bisexual before I had publicly come out once I realised I was lesbian. I could go on and on with tons of I should have known I liked women examples, but I'll actually share my favourite I should have known along with what really made me realise it. So when I was younger, I never really had the best dating track record with men. To put it short and sweet, let's just say I didn't pick winners. Probably the lesbian confusion, I'm sure. But at 20 years old, while discussing dating with a friend of mine at work, I just offhandedly said, I don't know, I just don't find many men attractive. Like, I find more women pretty than I do men hot, don't you? To which my friend just stared blankly and went, No? What? So, fast forward four years, I was dating another not so great guy, and I was at a party with his friends, and I was with all the other girls off to the side, joking about kissing other girls. You know, we were drunk. I will admit, I was unfortunately that drunk, quote unquote, straight girl. But I'm like, well, it's not a big deal. I mean, who wouldn't kiss girls? And this other girl just gave me the most shocked look and just went what no way no no absolutely not no thanks not for me in such a horrified manner it was actually kind of funny but that comment stuck with me i thought she didn't want to i always thought it was normal like why why don't why doesn't every woman want to kiss other women and then i started thinking like do i actually like women is this what this actually means it took a few months really mulling things over until I told that story to a friend of mine who actually did identify as bisexual, who then said to me, yeah, Miranda, you definitely like girls. Not all women think that and want to kiss other women. Fast forward another two more years, another friend of mine, ironically having met on Tinder, who is a lesbian, um, explained, uh, comphet to me and said, you know you probably don't actually like men. So a bi chick told me I wasn't straight and a lesbian told me I didn't like men.
1: As for gender identity, oh my. It's hard sometimes to disentangle my asexuality from my gender identity since they both kind of express themselves in a relative avoidance of sexuality and sexual activities. But I guess the difference for me is Asexuality is kind of an outward projection, where it can send other people, and my gender identity is more of an inward self-projection of it. That is to say, asexuality is where I demonstrate a lack of sexual attraction to and with others, while my gender identity is where I avoid cultural and social representations of sexuality and sex in general. That I never related to the boys I grew up with should have been the first clue. That I never had the same interest in sex, in porn, in sexy posters, in following bands and actors that they found sexually attractive. I'm sure they probably thought I was gay, but if I had been, there would have been clues that way even then. And there weren't. And of course that's carried through to my adult life, hence my post about toxic masculinity, hence my aversion to male culture, hence another reason most of my friends are female. It's not just because I'm seen as safe because of my sexuality, but because I feel I get on better with them and can relate to them more. I'm not saying I had a significant feeling of body dysphoria. But it's certainly true that certain activities I had were body avoidant. I didn't like looking myself in mirrors. There are almost no pictures of me after about the age of 12. I tended to wear baggy clothes, hooded sweatshirts, nothing body-hugging. I hated, hated having to wear shorts for athletics and vests for cross-country races. Both of these, incidentally, are issues I still have, which is why I'll tend to wear over-the-knee capri-length trousers and leggings for everything from hiking to parkrun. In my younger days, I assumed the lack of photos were because my grandmother was the one who liked taking photos of me and she died when I was 12, and that the baggy clothes thing was because I was a teenager at the start of the 90s, and that was the thing at the time, the whole mad Chester movement of loose-fitting and highly colourful clothing. Baggy. But even then I knew I wasn't trying to be trendy. As we said, I've always had that level of self-awareness. I went through phases of wanting to remove my body hair. I justified it to myself by saying, I'm a cross-country runner, it's a lot easier to clean. And I knew people at school who shaved their legs because they were cyclists, for exactly that reason. If they fell off and grazed themselves, it was easier for them to clean it up and for it to heal. But even then, I knew it was a... Well, not a lie exactly, but certainly I knew there was something else to it. Though at the time, I couldn't quite explain what... Certain little things too, certain thoughts, certain ideas, definitely not something with strong culturally masculine vibes and commitment. Things like the fact that I paint my toenails, the fact that I'm a fan of daisies, even my preference for being barefoot, my desire for longer head hair, that I'm not interested in cars, that I don't have a passion for certain movie genres like action. All taken in isolation are perfectly normal, but when taken together, they could suggest a rejection of masculine culture and norms. And once you start accepting that, there's only small leaps to something more fundamental, especially when seen alongside the points made previously. My gender identity, I think, is very much tied into all of these things. Here's Caitlin again, talking about how she connected a few dots, which eventually allowed her to realise her own gender identity.
5: So I guess going back to like my early 20s I knew my sexual preferences expanded beyond sort of the opposite sex um which you know I suppose at the time given that I was doing what society expected of me I mean later on I would come to realize that sort of this placed me more as a a pansexual however at the time most of my sexual fantasies revolved around men I was very much into extremely effeminate men. Essentially what some refer to as twinks or or femboys. But I think what was like really striking for me was that although it wasn't necessarily a I wanted to be with them, it was more that I wanted to be them. And this was a thought that had stuck with me for a long time, like since my early 20s. So I had a lot of time to contemplate this and kind of come to accept the fact that I was most likely gay. However, I didn't know that, you know, that acceptance would lead to something far bigger and and something that would ultimately be far harder to come to terms with and accept. The next sort of three to four months, I would say, I, I really started to make massive changes in my life. I was starting to feel more free to really explore the person that I wanted to be for so long. I started to change everything. So my wardrobe of baggy jeans, shirts, and cargo shorts very quickly changed to mostly women's clothes. Very bright, tight, colorful, very effeminate clothing sets. I even bleached my hair. I began to grow it out. I pierced my ears. And I started to look after my body. So I was losing weight. I was keeping my skin very clean and soft and hairless. I was never a huge fan of body hair. I even started to change my mannerisms, almost kind of subconsciously, as it just allowed the freedom of what I was doing to really expose my feminine side. Though at the time, I was still very much identifying as male. Even as I sort of continued down this road, this journey, wearing a bit of makeup outside of the house and to work, waist cinching to give my body a more feminine appearance, colleagues and friends started to notice. Some even started asking about pronouns, but I would just still, again, just beat those thoughts away uh, of ever possibly being, you know, transgender. But it got to the point where I was like, I need to make this decision. I was just fed up. I felt like I couldn't move on with my life until I'd made a decision. And for months, I wrestled with my own self-identity. It was just horrible. It was just agony, the whole thing. Like everything else had lost all meaning. And I just knew that I couldn't really move on until I'd made this choice. I think ultimately I'd kind of already made the choice, but it was just admitting to myself and just taking that chance and just accepting who I was. And it was one particular day that I very distinctly remember that I feel sort of finally allowed me to get to that point of acceptance which would ultimately open the door to my trans journey as it were. I remember I had a shower and I was drying off and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Now I'd been suffering body dysmorphia on and off, sometimes badly, sometimes not so bad but this time was just one of the worst. I stood there in the mirror what felt like hours and I just stared at my face and my body, this body and face that I just come to loathe so much that I broke down right there in the bathroom. I was angry. I hated myself. I was just grief stricken. I just wanted to punch the mirror over and over again. And the fact that I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror anymore without just breaking down and crying I realized that I needed to make this decision. Once I'd sort of collected myself and calmed down a little bit, I remember I rang my boyfriend and as just said, I, I said, I said, I think I'm trans. And he said to me, I know, I've always seen you that way. I've always seen you as a, a woman. And just like that, it was gone. All that doubt, all that confliction, It was like the biggest weight had been lifted off my chest and the relief was indescribable.
1: It's interesting that for both my asexuality and my gender identity, when I took on those words, those concepts and accepted them, some of my friends were almost, we were waiting for you to realise. And that seems to be a very common thing. Several people on this pod, including Kayla, Caitlin and Miranda, have mentioned it as well. When I came out as asexual, one of my friends literally said, Oh, I thought you were, but I didn't want to ask. And when he found out I was identifying as demiboy non-binary, one of the contributors to the old ungagged podcast I used to contribute to said, I was wondering when they were going to realise that. In addition, the canteen staff where I used to work always said I had the same vibe as Kenny Everett, who, in case you don't know, was a comedian and radio DJ in the 70s and 80s, who was... He reminds me a bit of Eddie Izzard, actually, in terms of presentation. In any ways, Kenny Everett was not cishead. Evidently, the clues were always there, we're just often either unable to see them or unwilling to accept them. One question that's interesting to ponder is, had I known earlier about my identities and orientations, would I have done anything differently? I mean, if we're being honestly practical, had I known earlier, I could have talked about it sooner, like, you know, in the mid to late 90s when it mattered more and nobody else was talking about it and I could have made more of a difference, rather than now when I'm old and everybody already knows about them. But I think that's just me being selfish. But certainly, with regards to my asexuality, it might have made me more able to explain my needs in a relationship, as I'd have had a word, a concept to describe myself, rather than just aimlessly poking around at sentences that didn't quite work and certainly didn't land... In fact, I'd probably have been more confident to talk about the concept in the first place rather than coming across as cold, aloof and a bit weird. Would it have made a difference? Who knows? I'd certainly have had a slightly different attitude, but I don't know to what extent my life would have been different. I'd have had fewer relationships, certainly, but I'd still probably have been friends with the same people. We just wouldn't have gone through a bonk stage. Anyway, coming out to yourself is a hard process, but one made a lot easier if you know what you're coming out as. Not just that there are people who have gone before, people you can see what they did, how they reacted, and see what and how they've learned, so you can learn from them. But even the fact that people have gone before means you're not thinking you're the only person who have ever had those thoughts, and you have something to hold on to. You might be unwilling to at first, but ultimately, if you know who and what you are, it eventually becomes easier to accept. Kira is happy with the self-awareness process.
0: I love that there are so many different gender identities, right? And again, speaking as somebody who is autistic, you know, I, I I was led under this belief that, you know, autistic people can't understand this and they, they can't understand gender identity and stuff like that. I get it. I'm good with it. I'm alright. I, I just slip up a lot because, not because of my autism, because I was brought up in the 90s when a girl was a girl and a boy was a boy and that's it. And now I'm having to unlearn a load of shit. You identify as she, they. It's like, yes. Because I fall under the trans umbrella mainly because of the you know, gender fluidity of I can flow in and out of all different things. and You've never thought of yourself as, like, trans, like a trans man. No, no, I've never thought, of you know, fully... Well, I have. I have, on several occasions, considered actually undergoing the whole transgender thing and becoming a man. Um, And then I realised it's mainly due to trauma. We don't change our gender identity because of trauma. That's not a good idea. I somewhat enjoy being a woman. I really like being a man. Um, I like confusing people more than anything else. I'll, I'll sit nicely in the middle somewhere around there. Gender identity is a wonderful thing. I love it so much. I love that it's so vast and diverse and everybody's included in it. I love everything about it.
1: But I'm going to leave the last word to Caitlin. I'm not going to lie. A lot of what she said for this podcast has definitely resonated with me. And if you want to hear the full recording that she made for me, I've only included bits of it then I shall put it online and you can see it if you're a Discord subscriber. So if I can kind of give like
5: any advice for those who are sort of struggling to accept themselves, it would be don't ignore those feelings. It's totally fine to be scared or confused by them. I don't think anybody who feels that way wouldn't be sort of scared or confused by them, but don't ignore them. Don't try and lock them away because they're very much like, a rising water in a dam. So if you just ignore them, they will continue to increase until you can no longer contain them. And if you're not careful, they will drown you. They will get to you. And I felt very lucky. I was very close to doing something really bad. And I broke through that. I accepted myself probably far too later than I should have, but I did it. And I think, Everybody can do that as long as they listen to those feelings and you can then accept who you are as well.
1: Well, that's about all for this pod. Join me next time when I go back to making a travel podcast. It will be the long planned and hopefully not out of date episode on lesser known boroughs of London. Until then, remember, you are valid. We are all valid. And if you're feeling off colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Glasgow studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass Bonus by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice or alternatively on my website barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at @rtwbarefoot or you can email me at info@barefoot-backpacker.com. The podcast has a Facebook group at traveltalesbeyondbrochure and I have a Patreon for access to rare extra content. That's patreon.com/traveltalesbeyondbrochurepod. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now.